Welcome to Living a Full Life Podcast. Join us as we explore health topics that encourage raising healthy children, living a healthy life, and living the best life possible. Now, here's your host. Hello, I'm Dr. Enrico Bilchkori, and thanks for joining us for another weekly podcast of Living a Full Life. This week, we're going to be talking about diabetes. I mean, this is something we definitely want to prevent in our life. This is something that maybe you're listening to and you may have already been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, or you may have grown up with type 1 diabetes. Uh, But today is just a public service announcement about diabetes. It's not all doom and gloom. It can be prevented, and even if it's a familial history, it's even more important to be on top of your diet when it comes to diabetes. Now, for those of you that don't know what diabetes is, it's an increased blood sugar level that ends up happening because your body can't control it through proper insulin production. And that's the simplistic terms to that is it starts to go up. And the problems with having an elevated blood sugar level is that it can cause disruption in function. So it can cause you to faint, pass out, um, decrease your blood pressure. There's things that happen to this physiologically that can limit your overall function, which which is a problem. But the point of today is, you know, how do we prevent diabetes? It is preventable and it is controllable through diet and exercise. Doctors will tell you at the end stage of diagnosis of diabetes that it is no longer possible to control this with exercise and diet because maybe you tried. Maybe you, you've been trying for a few years and it's not. Your, your blood sugar is not coming down. The risk of having high blood sugar for too long is not just the fainting and falling and hurting yourself. It can lead to stroke and heart events. So there's, there's those problems as well with high blood sugars. So diabetes has to be something that we look at preventively because there is no real solution once it once it happens. We've seen people been, be diagnosed and then reverse it early on. The, the, the quicker you act, the higher the success rate. But as soon as, you know, decades pass, it, it's very hard to reverse because the pancreas just slowly slows down in its production of insulin. So that's the key player there when it comes to diabetes. So very, it's a very common Uh, disease in America and around the world. It is treated with insulin. That's how it's um, treated through pump injection. um, And then some some types of drugs can help as well. Typically what follows diabetes or or co-managed with diabetes is that we have an increase in blood pressure as well. So then blood pressure medications are are very common in the diabetic population. So that's that's the medical route of of diabetes. Uh, It happens through um, many known and unknown reasons of why this happens to some people and not others. It is hereditary. It is genetic. It uh, runs through families of how these organs function, typically the pancreas and the way the body synthesizes glucose. So, but that doesn't mean it's doom and gloom. That's the whole point of this. You know, when people come to my health talks uh, at the office, whatever we're talking about, if it's fitness or diet, when we when we sit there, you know, I crack a little joke. Uh, it's, you know, Sally puts up her hand and she says, you know, well, you know, obesity runs in my family or diabetes runs in my family. And I'll say, well, you know, you know, no, it's not that obesity runs in your family. It's that nobody in your family runs. And we get a laugh. Some people try not to laugh and then um, try not to be me. And I, and I continue to go through that, but it, it's for a laugh. It's to understand, well, wait, wait a second. If, if I change my ways, I may be able to, to change the outcomes. And it's, it's true. It's true. 
Um, so when it comes to this again, and it's redundant on all these podcasts, you know, uh, you know, food and exercise play a huge role, but if you're in a pre-diabetic diagnosis right now, or on, you know, your doctor may have told you, Hey, you know, your, your sugar is high. It's warning signs that you have to act now because once you get the diagnosis of diabetes, they have to give you your, your primary care physician has to give you a treatment protocol. And that's typically insulin, metformin, maybe blood pressure meds, depending whatever the, the diagnosis may be. So the, the best thing you can do right off the bat, if you're running high blood sugar and high cholesterol and or high cholesterol is to lose weight, to lose weight. You know, very, maybe one of you are listening to this right now, like I don't have any more weight to lose, then don't worry about your cholesterol. But if your blood sugar is high, we want to move into exercising regularly because this is how you control glucose synthesis and glycogen synthesis into the body, both sugar-based cascades that happen through the body that are really important um, to maintain and and maintain and get them moving in, in the body. So losing weight, easier said than done. It, it's a it's a it's a trillion dollar business because um, b- people struggle with food. People struggle with food. People struggle struggle to eat a balanced diet, and people struggle to lose weight. They gain weight uh, because it's just this negative feedback loop of not exercising, not moving, eating poorly, not getting the right nutrition. The the months go by, the years go by. And then our hormone system deregulates and we start packing on weights. And there's life events too, pregnancies and other things that can, that can stall weight loss as well. So exercising becomes very important for the diabetic population. If you can, if you can do high intensity, moderate to high intensity, worth it. If you can't, doing moderate exercise is good as well. This is aerobic exercise. We want to aim for about two to three hours total of aerobic exercise per week. So if you, if you get 120 minutes, 150 minutes a week, that that's great. That would be 30 minutes, five times a week. So that's going for a 30 minute walk of moderate pace to increase your heart rate five times a week. It's more, if you've heard some of my other podcasts, when we talk about exercise, we talk about maybe working out three times a week at a more vigorous pace for hit and, and heart rate and, and other health reasons for the healthy body. But when we're talking about diabetes, aerobic exercise in the literature is shown to be more effective at regulating blood sugar because you're getting a constant insulin pump going as well. Now, eating a healthy diet. This is where the American Diabetic Association actually has a decent, I give them a four out of five star on this diet for the diabetic diet. They, the reason they don't get five out of five is because they still in, encourage and say processed foods are okay, which we, we know that's never true. But aside from that, aside from that, their, their food base is low glycemic. It is a great, great program. I, I say use that one uh, if you don't know where to start. It, it's a good one. It's got the low glycemic fruits. It's got the low glycemic carbs. And it pretty much tells you to eat everything else, protein, veggies, it's a smart one. Um, added sugars, artificial sugars, these are a big no when it comes to prediabetes or diabetic people. You just cannot do it. And when we try and help, not just in our practice, but as a culture in America and North America, we're trying to help the diabetic population. They all have certain things that the crutches that they keep doing over and over again. And as providers and dietitians and nutritionists and chiropractors and medical doctors and all of us that are trying to help di- diabetic patients, we just shake our heads because we know that you cannot be eating, you know, 
two artificial sodas per day. Uh, it just tricks the system. Yes, you're not producing insulin to it, but you're tricking the this, the whole sugar cascade in the body as well. And then these false sugars actually cause other problems, cause other problems. A lot of literature shows that uncontrolled blood sugar for decades leads to what's called type 3 diabetes. Type 3 diabetes is like a shadow term for dementia and Alzheimer's. It actually leads to brain decay uh, over a long period of time because the only energy source your brain uses is glucose. The rest of your body can use proteins, glucose, sugars, carbs, fats, your brain for energy, it also uses triglycerides for rebuilding, but for energy is glucose. The brain only allows glucose past the brain, blood-brain barrier. So when we put in artificial stuff, some of these things can cross the blood-brain barrier and they deposit onto the brain. We've seen this with aspartame. Aspartame has been sued uh, many times and they just rebranded and rechanged their name and their chemical composition. It's still a uh, false sugar and it still is leading to the same issues as before. That's one example. Sucralose. Um, th these things are all false sugars. We still don't know about stevia, xylitol, but they are better because they're plant-based. So they are better sugars for you. Uh, you're almost better. It's about how to eat rather than what to eat. What we end up doing when we get these snacks is they're high sugar and high salt snacks and we eat them on an empty stomach because we're hungry, right? When we crack that soda for a snack in the middle of the day or whatever it is to drink on, it's typically on an empty stomach, which is the worst thing to do is load yourself up with sugar. Like how did Snickers get away with being a snack? Snick, you know, a candy bar is not a snack especially on an empty stomach. It's a dessert. And we have to look at these sweets and things as desserts. I grew up in a European family. So when we went back to Europe, you know, dessert was fruit. It was fruit, the watermelon. We would come out, chop up a watermelon. That was dessert after our meal, but we ate it after the meal, like right, right after the meal as a dessert. Uh, but there wasn't, you didn't go into the fridge and snack on watermelon, which is a perfectly fine snack. I mean, head, you can snack on fruits because fruit has its enzymes in it to break down. But Grabbing a whole bunch of grapes that are high glycemic, not a good idea on an empty stomach because in diabetes, we're insulin resistant. So we don't produce the insulin in time and in enough quantity to fight off the sugar rush that happens with that. For those of you that are diabetic, you know that orange juice and soda and candy bears and all these things are something you keep as an emergency to elevate your blood sugar immediately when you're starting to feel faint because that's how you stay from fainting which we understand that but you see how that works that's how quickly you could elevate blood sugar with these quick sugary snacks is is like that so when we're pre-diabetic or trying to avoid diabetes and we don't live our lives to avoid disease people like let me just cut myself off right there please don't live your life trying to avoid a disease that's that's kind of yeah, that's that's kind of doom and gloom, isn't it? I'm doing everything to avoid disease. That's kind of a scary way to live. You're doing things to be vital and and encourage life in your body, not not to dampen it. So don't don't think you're doing all this stuff just to prevent diabetes. You're you're eating like this to prevent tons of stuff. Diabetes is an inflammatory disease, and inflammation causes almost all the diseases that we know. So we're trying to live a life of anti-inflammation, and quick doses of sugar cause instant inflammation in the body. 
even even things like a handful of grapes, the high glycemic, if we are pre-diabetic, it's a stress to the body because it's going to put a lot of sugar into the bloodstream quickly. It doesn't get broken down into like a healthy person that releases insulin that is not resistant, that can release the amount of insulin from the pancreas quickly enough to break that down in a healthy in a healthy way. I hope that makes sense. So those, those are it, exercise and diet. So diet has just got to be you know high in fiber, good saturated fats, uh, low in processed foods, whole grains if you eat grains, fruit, uh, vegetable, and then improve insulin sensitivity and lower blood sugar levels through the way we eat that way. These next ones are, I think, just as important to, to help with diabetes and to, to prevent it and even reverse it if we do these things right. We've seen people get off of metformin and off of their insulin. I've seen it firsthand. Managed stress. You know, chronic stress increases blood sugar levels. It's just one thing that happens and it, incre- and it worsens insulin sensitivity. So stress puts stress on the pancreas as well. Put stress on all of our organs. Have you ever been really stressed? You can feel it in your heart. Your heart doesn't feel like it's pumping right, right? That, that Our organs get affected because our autonomic nervous system goes into lockdown. And it locks down everything, every system in the body, just by 10%, you know, just kind of locks down everything and makes it a little bit more efficient in that moment to get through the stress. But with chronic stress, that that short-term acute response is not meant to be around for days, hours, weeks, months when we have that stress. So chronic stress just, just does that to us. And I know that's the toughest one. I know that's the toughest one. So I'm going to pause instead of keep talking because stress is tough. I understand, but being aware of it, uh, finding a health coach or a mental health coach that you like bouncing between a few, sometimes you'll land on the right one. They just jive with you and, and it helps, it helps to talk. It helps to get a little bit of that stress off and realize, Hey, you know, the life, life keeps going. Life is good and things happen and working through deeper things too, maybe from your past. I mean, these chronic stresses can cause things. Work stress, being uh, being laid off from work currently is stressful. Going through a divorce is stressful. Uh, your kids getting sick is stressful. Your spouse getting, your family getting sick. Uh, a mom or dad passing away. I mean, these things are all events that can cause stress. Uh, be careful with that. Smoking, smoking. I've got no, I've, I have no love for for this at all. I mean, if you smoke, quit. It, it makes zero sense. To do this, you say, ah, oh, you don't understand, um, you know, helps me or, you know, calm down, whatever it is. You have to stop smoking. The smoking causes microcirculation issues in the body. And if we're going to try and regulate blood sugar, there's, you stand no chance by smoking one, two, three, four pack of cigarettes a day because you just decrease the microcirculation in your body. There's just zero chance for you to do anything <clears throat> cardiovascular to help with that. So, well, my, my grandma lived to 90 and she was a smoker fine. Well, it's probably not, it's just not good advice. <laughs> That's just bad advice. Don't tell your kids that, you know, you shouldn't tell your kids grandma lived to 90 and she smoked that. What are you, what are you passing on to the next generation? Complete stupidity. Uh, but if you're a smoker, I love you. I love you. High five. I love you, but just stop. If we're trying to prevent, you know, these chronic inflammatory diseases, it just makes no sense um, to do any of that. Try. There's a lot of resources out there for, for, for quit smoking. Believe it or not, acupuncture is, I've seen firsthand through my practices, both in two different countries, uh, good uh, Chinese medicine, Chinese tr- uh, um, trained acupuncturists 
they do some auricular acupuncture and they even use lasers for people that don't like the, the, the needle. I've seen people stop smoking that week after like two sessions. They are like, yeah, I smoke. The cravings are not there. And then they continue with acupuncture because they feel like they need it. They acupuncture to stop smoking and they continue on for a few weeks. And they're like, I haven't had a cigarette all month. I'm like, well, I think that's it. I think you're done. You're good. Right. Yeah, I think I'm done. So then we got to avoid the stresses that make people smoke. So we get them out of the house and, and get the cigarettes out of the house and just don't buy them. Just don't, don't buy. That's, that's the key. You just toss them out and go. The, the cold turkey thing, not good for most people. It causes a lot of side effects uh, when you do that because of the addiction to the nicotine. And, and that goes with any substance. A lot of medications that we've been on, when we wean off, we say we got to wean off because they can have side effects. So same thing with that. The nicotine and the and the toxins that are in there can cause side effects. So be careful with that. And for those of you that do change your diet and had a sugary diet before, you're going to go through a detox as well. You're going to realize how big of a sweet tooth you've had because you're going to get a chronic um, – chronic headache, dull headache in the back of your head. It can last a few hours. It can last a few days. And it typically happens three to five days into a detox process or into a new health, a new diet process that when you start to get that mild headache in the back of your head, if it lasted, you know, an evening, your sugar, your sweet tooth was pretty low. If it lasted two days, you had a huge sweet tooth and your body's completely detoxing and your pancreas is just thanking you in that moment. So really worth doing. And then sleep. You got to get enough sleep. It's the only time in our lives that we have a chance to regenerate our tissue that we've damaged through the day prior. So sleep is so important. Seven to eight hours, seven to eight hours per night for every adult over the age of sixteen. You just need to uh, you need to be trying to get eight hours of sleep per night. It's just the way it is. The older you are, you can get away with less. I don't think you're getting away with less. I just think you're getting up too much, right? The little things that wake us up at night. It's just part of the aging process. We understand. There you go. Diabetes and how to be aware and and try and prevent this. You're not doom and gloom with all these genetic tests that are coming out. They can come straight to your door. You can order them. You can do them and you get a report back and then you get like these seven like diseases that you're prone to and you're and you're like oh great i'm gonna die it's not the way it works people that's not the way it works it's epigenetics everything i learned i tell this story to all the new grads that we teach like the chiropractors that come out and the doctors i went through genetics in 1999 2000 2001 and 2002 i did a four-year microbiology and genetic you know all this stuff that you had to take None of that genetic courses are relevant today. If you go walk into any university in the world and you go into, into genetics 101 or genetics 102, I wouldn't know what they're – it's a completely different world. It's We don't talk about the recessive and dominant genes anymore. It, it doesn't – those are just standard protocol, but there's so much epigenetics that's happening that we've opened up and learned about that it's so much bigger than that. That DNA crick thing that they developed, you know, 60 years ago, it's ancient. It's not even relative anymore. It developed genetics, and now we know what we know because of it. So, yes, don't don't burn those books. But it's epigenetics that we're talking about. These are switches that you can turn off each and turn on and off every single day. So if you have cancer genes, yes, it will show up in your genetics. But if you don't turn on all those lights, then your chances of getting cancer are a lot lower a lot lower, you you lower it. So heart disease, diabetes, uh, lupus, whatever it may be, these markers come back. You can you can, can try it with your epigenetics, and you're not doomed to these diseases. You're doomed to male pattern baldness. You're doomed to having blonde hair. I don't know, I don't think that's doom. I think that's just phenotypes that you're genetically passed down to. So there you go. That is diabetes. That is maybe a few moments of genetics, but that's how it works. Stay healthy. Stay well. See you next week. 
Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Living a Full Life Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.